She's appeared on Good Morning America, The Today Show, CNN, CNBC, and Oprah's Radio Network. She's the no-nonsense, tell-it-like-it-is, business explosion goddess who helps entrepreneurs monetize their expertise, funnelize their sales, and celebritize their brands. Fasten your seatbelts. It's time to ride with the always-hyped host of Big Time Business, Fran Harris. Did you know that one of the fastest ways to explode your business is through the power of media appearances? Yes, you on radio, on television, on podcast. One of the fastest ways to grow your business. My new book, Celebrity Playbook, shows experts and entrepreneurs how they can leverage the power of television, radio, and media appearances to explode their brands and their businesses in less time than you think. Go ahead and grab a copy at celebrityplaybook.com. Get your copy of Celebrity Playbook at celebrityplaybook.com. Here's today's show. You get used to that. Well, I'm very excited to be here today. Thank you very much, um, Larry Kelly and the Dallas Sports Commission for having me here. Very excited to be here for a number of reasons. Number one, it's home for me. Um, number two, the final four will be here. And let's be honest, number three, I get to have Campisi's Pizza after this <laughs> later on. Y'all know what this is about. That's why I'm really glad to be here. But Dallas is such a great place to have a final four. There are a number of things that I've been able to do in my career that I'm very proud of, playing on the national championship team, working with Procter & Gamble, starting my own company. But one of the things that's really made a difference in my life has been the things that I've actually achieved with the team. So when they called me and asked me to be a part of the team that was going to pitch, having Dallas as the Women's Final Four site, I was very, very excited to be a part of that process. And we got the opportunity to go to the NCAA along with a lot of other cities and talk about why this city is the place for a women's final four. I grew up in Dallas, as Cindy mentioned, played on a, a state championship team at the University of uh, at South Oak Cliff, played on an international championship team at the University of Texas. So I know how much this city and this metroplex and this area has supported women's sports and women doing amazing things. So for me, Dallas was the place. And would you agree that Texas does everything kind of big anyway, right? We do things big anyway. We do things big in Dallas. Uh, big hair, right? I was with my hairdresser yesterday, and she spun me around and said, you like it? I said, I have officially been Olivia Pope. Does anybody watch Scandal? Is this not the Olivia Pope character right here? That's what I said to them. But Dallas is such a great place for it because of the appreciation of women in sports. And so for me, having that opportunity to be a part of that pitch team, to go there and to talk about why Dallas was so amazing and what we could do in terms of highlighting the level of women's basketball. When I played basketball back in the 80s, we um, didn't have contracts. We didn't have television contracts. We didn't, there was one game on every year at the end of the collegiate season, and it was on CBS. It was one game. Now there are 20 networks. Now we're on every single night. I'm the host of shows and play by play on the, on the network that's just for one college. That's how far we've come. So today is really about celebration of not just women, women's sports, but the celebration of the fact that finally the world is recognizing how important Dallas is to this world of women's sports. So I want to talk to you guys just for a little bit about um, some leadership lessons that my mom taught me. And some of the stuff that I'm going to share is not in my bio because it's literally happened in the last four or five years. Would it be okay if I share some of my mom's leadership lessons for me? Some of these things I didn't realize that I was learning when I was learning them and 
it wasn't until I became an entrepreneur that I started to understand what these lessons were about. So the first one that mom gave me was to lead with love. To lead with love. Now, how many of your parents, your mom ever said, don't tell me this because I love you? I'm doing this because I love you. I'm whipping your butt because I love you. Right? You can't go to that party because I love you. Has anybody, your mom or dad ever said that to you? So always leading with love. And as an entrepreneur, when I left Procter & Gamble in 1995, great pedigree, great opportunity to work for a company for four or five years. But I always knew, like many of you, I wanted to start my own company. And when I left there, one of the first things my mentor told me was that nobody cares what you know, friend, until they know how much you care. Nobody cares what you know until they know how much you care. So a lot of times as an entrepreneur, as a female entrepreneur, we're, we're moving in, in male-dominated industries and those kinds of things, and we want to, we're eager to show everybody what we know. And we're building our team, and we're leading with our intellect. And my mom always said, lead with love. Because when someone knows that you are invested in them, which is what my coaches taught us, when someone knows that you are invested in their success, they're more likely to listen to you. They're more likely to follow the great counsel that you have for them. So lead with love. How many of you have teams right now? So you have an executive assistant or whatever. How many of you are actually leading with love right now? Leading with love. Yeah? Okay. So you look a little puzzled. Are you leading with love or not? All right. Lesson number one. That's good. Um, lesson number two. Be fair. Be fair. How many of you have children? All right, so we uh, there are five children in my family, and people always say, you hear this a lot in sports, and you hear this when you have kids. You gotta treat everybody the same. Have you guys ever heard that? You gotta treat everybody the same. And how many of you know that that's a bunch of crap? <laughs> it's hard to treat everybody the same because we're different. We're different. But you can be fair to everyone. You can be fair. Now, in the spectrum of our kids, Everybody in my family has a big personality. So if you're around the table, you're in the family reunion, nobody's getting to talk. This one fight would not be enough for my family. But in terms of academics, my brother went to TCU, got a business degree. I went to Texas, got a journalism degree. I have one brother, best basketball player in our family forever. Didn't quite care about school a whole lot, right? Didn't care about school. So what my mom did with him was very different than what she did with me. Very different than what she did with my other brother. So it's not possible necessary to always treat people the same, but it is very possible to be fair. So that's also a lesson that I learned at the University of Texas. When I got there as a sophomore, as a freshman, we brought in a young lady who was from Idaho. She was one of the best players in, uh, in the world. Andrea Lloyd was from Idaho. And when she got there, she got to do things that we didn't get to do. Things like pass the ball behind her back. Things like no look passing. Like, these seem like simple things, but these are not things we got to do before Andrea got there. So when Andrea would do these things like bratty kids, we would go, why is Andrea getting the pass behind her back? Like, we, we don't want we to do that. And my coach had to, to explain to us, Andrea brings a special set of talents. Andrea's going to get to do things that some of you guys don't get to do. Now, if you know anything about my career, you didn't talk about how many points I scored. Did you, Cynthia? You didn't mention that I scored almost 2,000 points at the University of Texas. You failed to mention that. You talked about being born in 1886, but you failed to mention that I scored almost 2,000 points. Thank you very much. So being able to shoot, 
I learned that there's something called the green light. My coach is one of the winningest coaches in basketball, men's or women's basketball coach, Jody Conrad. And so we're complaining about Andrea, but she says, friend, I don't know who you complaining because you have the green light. Lesson number three that my mom taught me was to face your fears head on. Face your fears head on. Now, this sounds good. I mean, you acknowledge that you have some fears right now. Okay, this sounds good, but when I was nine years old, having to deal with the bully in the neighborhood, facing my fear was not as easy as I thought it was going to be. So how many of you have ever been faced with a, a bully? Yes. As an adult, as a child, right? So there was this, this child in our neighborhood who everybody was afraid of. Everybody was afraid of this girl. When I moved into the neighborhood, I didn't know why people were afraid of her. But I felt right in line with everybody else because that's what the dominant paradigm was. Everybody's afraid of her. So one day I went outside to meet this person and she said, did you say it? And I said, did I say what? Did you say it? I just said, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I said it. <laughs> she pushed me. So I did what any person would do. I took off running. <laughs> I took off running to my house, to my mother. And I get into the house and I'm, I'm breathless and I'm, and I'm like, so what's wrong? She's checking my body to make sure, you know, the animal has not attacked me. And I said, she pushed me, she pushed me. And my mother said, who pushed you? And I said this person's name because you could be here and I don't recognize you, but I'm not going to say your name. But I said, she pushed me. And then she says, well, what did you do? I said, I ran in here to you. And she said, why'd you do that? I said, because I'm afraid, Mom. She says, you're afraid? I said, yes, I'm scared. She said, oh, what? I couldn't answer her. I didn't know why I was afraid. I didn't know why I was afraid. I didn't know why all the girls in the neighborhood were afraid of this little girl. So in that moment, I realized that what my mother was challenging me to do was to face my fears, which is what we have to do as entrepreneurs and businesswomen women all the time. Face your fears. So my mom looked at me, she checked me out, and then she says, you're not afraid of her. I said, I'm not. She says, no, you're not. Now get on back out there, and you're going to have to fight that girl. You're going to have to fight that girl. And I was like, what kind of advice is this from your mother? <laughs> Tell her daughter who's afraid to go out here and face and fight this little girl. But that's exactly what she said. Get out there. You're going to have to, sooner or later, you're going to have to fight that girl. And she turned back to the pot of beans and just kept stirring. <laughs> so I went back out there and I faced my fear. I went back out there to her, trembling. She stood there and we fought. And then what do you guys think happened after that? We became best friends. That's how it works, isn't it? That's how it works. I was the only girl in the neighborhood who was not afraid of her. But it didn't happen until I was able to face my fear. How do leaders handle the mounting instances of poor, unprofessional, unproductive, and sometimes outright bullying behavior in the workplace? Bullyproof My Company addresses this incredible issue that's facing every company today in America and even internationally. If you're looking for ways to build a winning culture, a winning environment, a winning team, pick up a copy of Bullyproof My Company at bullyproofmycompany.com. You'll be glad you did.
As uh, Cindy may have mentioned in my introduction, I do uh, television for ESPN and the Longhorn Network. And the first time I was on television, I was so frightened about not being on television, I was frightened about the nine million people who were watching me be on television. And I had to decide whether if you're gonna be good at this, if you're gonna be good at speaking, if you're going to be good at television, you're gonna to have to face that fear. How many of you know of a fear that you have right now that you need to face that will take you to that next level in your business? If you do, can I see your hands, a show of hands. How many of you have a fear? The rest of y'all ain't scared of nothing? Y'all just not scared of anything? We all have fears. We all, you know, the world tells us as elite athletes that we are not to, to show our vulnerability. But nothing has made me a better leader than being able to say to the people who I'm leading that I'm not sure about this, that maybe we can't beat this team. It's that level of openness, that level of vulnerability that makes people understand that you're human, that you're real. And I don't know about you guys, but I've never followed a leader that I thought they thought they were perfect. Never followed a leader who never allowed me to see his or her vulnerabilities because I can't relate to that. I can't relate to someone who, who is never, has no doubts about anything, can't relate to that. So as you're building your teams or leading your existing teams, add a little bit of vulnerability in there, add a little bit of doubt in there, add a little bit of, you know guys, I don't know how this is gonna turn out. People follow people that they can identify with. So that's the, the next one. Ask for help. By show of hands, how many of you are great at asking for help? Two hands are up right now. Great at asking for help. You know why we're not great at asking for help? The, the previous lesson. We think that if we ask for help, it means that they're going to think that we don't know what we're doing. They're going to think that we're not confident. They're going to think that we don't have the skills to do whatever this job requires. Asking for help is one of the smartest things you can ever do in your life. Asking for help, acknowledging that I don't have all the answers is one of the smartest things as business women, as athletes, as CEOs that you can ever do in your life. The first thing that you have to understand is that if you've surrounded yourself by people, a team of people who fill in your gaps, then the team gets there. The team gets there. I remember when I was, I almost went to SMU, I'm from Dallas, I almost took a scholarship to go to SMU instead of the University of Texas. And the thing that really leaned me in the direction of the University of Texas was something my coach said when she was recruiting me. She says, now I can't promise you that you're going to start and you're going to be the star of our team. But what I can promise you is that you're going to be able to ultimately play for a national championship. What I can promise you that as a team, filling in the gaps, where you're weak and where someone else is weak, I can promise you that I will put a group of people around you and ultimately you will get to the pinnacle of your career. Whereas SMU said to me, if you come here, you can shoot whenever you want, score 5,000 points, and although that was appealing, I was never going to play at that elite level. And some of you in your business right now are cherry picking off the things that are the easiest things for you to do. You're, you don't have people in your life who are challenging you. If you get into a team meeting, everybody agrees with you. Whatever you say, 
People are doing this with you. And if you're surrounding yourself by people who will not tell you the hard truth, I can guarantee you that that is the fastest formula for failure. If you're surrounding yourself personally or professionally with people who will not sit around that table on Monday mornings when you talk about what your business needs to do, who will not say, you know, we can do this better, that's the fastest formula for failure. Ask for help. And then do something with it when you get it. When you get it. Uh, the next lesson my mom taught me was to um, buy great clothes. Thank you very much, Mother. <laughs> Buy great clothes. Look good. Look good. Look your best. Here's the thing I learned very early in my professional career. I can't look like you. I, you can't look like me. And sometimes when we're putting our package together, we try to look like other people. Has anybody else tried to look like other people? When I went to work for Procter & Gamble, it was all blue suits, black suits, gray suits. No offense to the people wearing blue and black gray. <laughs> But that's what was happening. Men don't have a lot of choices, right? I'm not talking to you guys, right? But ladies, you know, we like a little flair, we like a little, we like a little individuality. Building your brand as an entrepreneur, as a company, is all about, you guys probably heard this, you know, your unique selling proposition. It's all about what makes you stand out in the marketplace. And for you, just as an individual, your package. There has to be something signature about you, something signature about the way you do what you do. And there is no mistake that when you walk into the room, I know it's you because I see you versus you trying to be like everyone else. So developing that signature look, buying great attire that looks good for you, that looks good on you so that people understand who you are in the marketplace, whether that's branding of your company, branding of your assets, whatever that is, making sure that you have that signature look. The next lesson my mother taught me was to admit when you are wrong. Admit when you're wrong. How many of you are great at admitting when you're wrong? Three hands are up for that one. Admitting when you're wrong is not an easy thing to do. Most people have difficulty saying, I'm sorry, my bad, as we say in sports. I apologize. But those are some of the most powerful words you will ever say in a business or a personal meeting. I'm sorry. That didn't quite work out the way I thought it would work out. I'm sorry I was wrong. I miscalculated those projections. I'm sorry I was not a very good person today. I'm sorry I was such a grump in the meeting today. What we as CEOs sometimes do is we expect people to just understand that we're going to have bad days. Don't you know how busy I am? Don't you know how important I am? Don't you know that I run a company? That's the attitude sometimes. You just guys, you guys just have to understand that this is the life of a CEO. Like, I'm not going to be walking around saying I'm sorry all the time. Nothing will destroy your teams faster than the attitude of, even if I sin, I'm without fault. Even if I screw up royally and everybody in this room knows that I did, 
I'm not going to acknowledge my screw-ups. That is a trait of a CEO that will be out of work. So saying you're sorry, acknowledging your faults, hugely important. And then the final one that mom talked about was telling the truth. Tell the truth. And I have to admit, as a third grader, I had a difficulty with this leadership lesson. <laughs> because as you it may, it may or may not surprise you that I talked a lot in class. And so in the third grade, I was at an all-time high on the talking scale. And back then, we would be in not quarters, not semesters. And so I started getting one, one, which was fantastic, great. Two was mm, three was trouble. So this particular report card, I had like three threes, which with a mom who said, the only thing you're allowed to bring home are ones. The only thing you're allowed to bring home are eights. That was my mother. So I had three threes. So as I get this report card from my teacher, I'm challenged with figuring out which color ink should I use to change those threes to choose. Because even though it wasn't a one, it wasn't a three. So I did. Got the ink pen, and I changed all my threes to twos and prayed. Because I also had the mother who believed in not sparing rod. So I get home, all the way home, I'm practicing my sales pitch. Should I talk about it when I hand her? Should I just hand the report card? Or should I talk when I hand her the report card? Should I just act like I lost the report card? Literally every scenario I'm trying to play out in my mind. And I only live a block away from school. So I get home, and I get her, give her the report card. The first lesson in sales. Anybody in sales in here? He who speaks first loses. He who speaks first loses. So my mom and I are doing the sales thing. I'm not saying a word, girl. I'm not going to say one thing. You can look at me all you want to. I'm not going to say one thing. I know the rules of sales. And she's my main lady. So I didn't say anything. I just stood there. And plus, I was cute. So I was like, she said, these are, did you change this frame? Because these look like threes. Did you change these frames? No. <laughs> did you change these grades? Did you change these grades? You know, so she's doing the whole intimidation thing, talking louder, standing over me. No. Next rule of salesmanship, don't change your answer. Don't change your answer midstream. Don't do it. No, I did not change those grades. Then I started to believe that I didn't change those grades. I had so much confidence. No, I did not change those grades. You didn't change these grades. No, I did not change those grades. Then I don't know what possessed me to say this. You can go ask Miss Haynes if I change these grades. But that was it, right? That was the that was the line that convinced her that I had changed. Because why would I say that if I had changed the grades? 
Now, how many of you are thinking that I didn't change those grades right now, right? It was persuasive. So mom says, I'm going to do that. I'm going to go up to the school. And you never want your mother to say up to the school. It could never be up to going to the school. I'm going to go up to the school, and I'm going to ask Miss Hayes. And I said, fine. Ask her. She never went up to the school because I had sold her on the fact that I did not change those grades. But I lied. And I wasn't one of those kids who, um, it was eating at me so much that I had to go tell my mother. If you thought that's where the story was going, it's not going there. It's not going there, okay? Because my mother was serious about beating me. So I was not gonna tell her the truth. But I also lived in the fear that she was going to find out. I lived the fear that one day she was going to find out that I changed those threes to twos. And so that cured me of lying. That cured me of lying. And as I became an entrepreneur and started to be surrounded by liars and people who would just lie about the most inane things, like why are you lying about that? And I think that's what my mother was thinking the day when she was looking at me, asking me if I had changed those grades. Like, why are you, like, this is not world changing. Why are you lying about this? So that became one of my core values as an entrepreneur. I don't have to lie to look better. Most people lie to look better. One of my core values is do not lie, even if you look terrible, even if you, it doesn't matter, don't lie, because nothing destroys the trust that your team has with you when you're looking at them lying to them, and they know you're lying. So that was the final lesson that my mom gave me. My mom died when I was 16 years old, and um, I had gone to a, uh, an international, what do you call it, exchange thing. Left like on a Sunday, and 24 hours later, she died. Wasn't sick, no warning, heart attack. She was 45. So she was very young, gone. And in her short time, in our short time together, I learned those things. Those were not little quips and things that I made up to speak to you guys. You don't realize how much you get in a lifetime from people. You don't realize what you're learning that will serve you later. I never thought those were going to be business lessons, leadership lessons from my mother. I never thought I'd be speaking in front of you talking about the things that I truly live by in my life. But those things have transformed my life and transformed my business. And transformed my business because they are in everything I do. And then the one that wraps it up for all of us are the relationships. If you are good at relationships, if you are good at building relationships, you are probably going to be good at business. If you can be your word and do what you say you're going to do and operate with integrity, you are probably going to be good at business because you can learn the skills that it requires, whatever you're in, I don't even need to, know, need to know what you do. The skills can be learned. 
But if you are good at relationships, you will be great at business. Have you ever thought about creating or selling your own high ticket program, product, event, or service? Well, I've just released a brand new training that shows you how to give yourself a six or seven figure raise by simply adding one high ticket offer to your new or existing business. You can register for this free training at highticketwebinar.com. Check it out. It's at highticketwebinar.com. You will be great at business for a couple of reasons. First of all, people want to help people that they want to be in business with. I always tell when I'm mentoring young college students, I always say, just be somebody that people want to be in business with. They will surround you with people that you need to be better at your business. And so if I can leave you with anything, it's of the seven lessons, this bonus lesson of being great at relationships is the most important lesson. And again, without knowing who you are, what you do, how long you've done it, I will also submit to you that there is nothing you cannot achieve, not one single thing you cannot achieve if you will do one thing, and that is to let go of your illusions about what is possible for your life. Let go of the pictures that you hold dear for what is possible or impossible for your life. Has anyone else besides me ever thought something was one way and only to find out that it was another way? Right? You have a picture of what it is. Turns out it was something else. I'll give you a real quick example before I wrap up. I have a client, a new client in my, in my uh, consulting firm who is in Switzerland. I've never met him. We've talked for a year over Skype. Right? Never had a physical pressing of flesh with this guy. I sent them the scope of work. Anybody ever done a scope of work? Right? You want that thing to be good. You want that thing to be really good. So I sent them a scope of work. And it's a premium. It's a lot of money. So Friday he emails and says, Fran, this looks good. Our board has looked at it. Our investors have looked at it. I'll get back to you on Monday. Monday came. No email. What do you guys think I was thinking possibly about that? Lost the deal. What else? Too much money, what else? Anybody? Wasn't good enough, right? Wasn't good enough, I should have put this thing in there. I so I, you know, your, your, your head is a bad neighborhood, in case no one's told you that. It's a really bad neighborhood. So all these things are going on in my head. All these, you know, and I am Miss Positivity. So you know if I'm thinking this stuff, I can only imagine what people who, with less are thinking. So at first I'm like, oh, he'll, he'll send it. Then by like midnight, you know, I'm checking my phone, like I'm looking for my baby daddy information. <laughs> like I'm checking my phone. Finally, you know, I surrender and I say, it wasn't, it wasn't me. If it's not, if it's for me, it's gonna be for me. He emails me yesterday and says, Fran, I'm so sorry. I didn't get back to you on Monday. I was in a ski accident in Switzerland. Full throttle ahead, love the scope of work, let's do this. That was essentially what the, the email said. Now, had I responded to the thoughts and the things that were going on in my head, I might have sent him an email and you know start doing the black girl thing with my hand and start doing all that. I might have started doing all of that, but I didn't. 
I had to believe in the process. I had to be patient. I had to not let my thoughts get ahead of me. Because we built a relationship over Skype for a year. Never knew if that was going to be. I was just helping, just providing value, which is what you should do in your business. I was just helping, giving business advice. Never thought it was going to turn into what it has turned into, which is probably equity in your company. Never thought that. Never planned on that. But because I invested in that relationship, it turned into something amazing. So the, the thing I will leave you with is um, something to encourage you to, to let go of your illusions. And it's called the cookie thief. Is anybody here the, cook, the cookie thief? Okay. A woman was waiting at the airport one night with several long hours before her flight. She hunted for a book in the airport shop, bought a bag of cookies, and found a place to drop. Now she was engrossed in her book, but happened to see that the man beside her, as bold as could be, grabbed a cookie or two from the bag in between, which she tried to ignore to avoid a scene. Now, she munched cookies and watched the clock as the gutsy cookie thief diminished her stock. She was getting more irritated as the minutes ticked by, thinking, you know, if I wasn't so nice, I'd blacken his eye. <laughs> With each cookie she took, he took one too. With only one left, she wondered what he'd do. With a smile on his face and a nervous laugh, he took the last cookie and broke it in half. He ate one half and handed her the other. She snatched it from him and said, let me check out this brother. Well, he is so nerve and he's also rude that he didn't even show any gratitude. Well, she'd never known she'd been so galled and sighed with relief when her flight was called. She gathered her belongings and headed for the gate, refusing to look back at the thieving ingrate. She boarded the plane and sank in her seat, then sought after that book, which was now almost complete. When she reached in her bag, she, with surprise, there was her bag of cookies in front of her eyes. <laughs> if mine are here, she moaned in despair, then the others were his, and he tried to share. <laughs> Too late to apologize, she realized with grief that she had been the rude one, the ingrate, the thief. Ladies, I submit to you, there's nothing you cannot do if you let go of those illusions. What you think is possible or not possible for your life. The world is certainly your oyster. There's never been a time, a better time to be a woman in business. I salute you, and I thank you for your attention today. You've been listening to Big Time Business with Fran Harris, results-focused biz nutrition for entrepreneurs, side hustlers, and startups. Be sure to rate the show, subscribe, and stay tuned for the next episode. Get information about advertising and sponsorships at FranHarris.com.